This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rubberbank Group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guests are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rubberbank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to RoboTalk's Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. We increasingly hear that good farm planning is the key to both understanding and managing the environmental impacts of farming systems, whilst also helping run a profitable business. But what exactly constitutes good farm planning? What are the elements that go into a farm plan? And what is integrated farm planning? A term that seems to be used more and more in reference to farm planning in recent times. I'm your host, Blake Holgate, and today I'm joined by someone who literally wrote the handbook on farm planning, so has a deep understanding of what is involved in putting together a farm plan, but more importantly, how to design and implement a plan that will add real value to your farming business. She's an agribusiness consultant and current chair of AgFerris, one of New Zealand's largest agricultural consultancies. She also facilitates Rabobank's very own client greenhouse gas and freshwater farm planning workshops. Her name is Erica Van Reenen. Erica, welcome to Rabobank's Growing Our Future podcast. Thank you, Blake. Really nice to be here today. Now, I'm sure many of our listeners potentially have come across you in, in other contexts, whether it's on other podcasts or speaking at events or, or have used your consultancy services, but it'd be still really good to get a bit of a background, you know, what your career to date in ag has involved and what some of your current roles involve also. Sure. Well, it's been a bit of an interesting career and not quite what I expected when I left school, but left school and went to Massey to study agriculture and then went on to do a master's in merino wool production, which is a bit left field, but it was a passion of mine having grown up in the high country. Um, and it meant that I got to be a North Island merino farmer for a couple of years, which was great. I then went on to work for Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry, which probably shows my age a little bit there and worked in the climate change policy team. So I did that for three years as the emissions trading scheme was being developed. Really steep learning curve in terms of policy development in a very contentious area, uh, which we're obviously still seeing a lot more in terms of how that's impacting farmers today. And that's evolved a lot as well. Once I left Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry, I went and worked for Beef and Lamb New Zealand as an extension manager, and then started the inaugural Environmental Extension Programme for Beef and Lamb New Zealand, which I did for a couple of years before moving to Ag First. In my role with Ag First, every day is different. I can be doing a whole lot of different things from working with individual farmers through to sitting in Wellington, helping policymakers try and get some good practical outcomes, achieving the objectives they're striving for, but also some practical application on farm, which is not always successful, but we do our best also do a lot of facilitation work, as you've alluded to, and support my team who are out doing farm plans, nutrient budgets, helping farmers with compliance, and a few other bits and pieces along the way. Favourite day, I guess, is when, when I'm with farmers doing long-term land use strategies, looking at, at everything from animal welfare and financial performance through to environmental outcomes and succession. So that can be a, a thrilling day in the office 
And when I'm not doing that, I'm I'm farming with my husband on a sheep and beef farm in the Rangatike and looking after my bubbly little toddler for a daughter. It's a pretty diverse skill set you have there, Erica, and given the times we're in, no doubt, in, in high demand. So, you know, I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. Now, when I first met you 10 years ago, you were with Beef and Lamb at that time, and, and I alluded in, in my introduction that you literally wrote the handbook on farm planning, or, or one of them at least. I am correct in saying that you were heavily involved in the development of the land environment plans. Is, is that what they were called at the time? That's right. So there was a version that preceded me, so not totally the mother, but have carried it on, I guess, and shifted it from, at the time, really focused on soil conservation. And there's some beautiful frameworks established then by some very clever people that we were able to evolve. But the times shifted, and I guess the key shift was not so much around the land, but more how we were managing it and the expectations around how our farming practices and management practices were influencing the landscape. And we couldn't just take for granted that it was all about soil conservation. So nutrient management practices, how we're influencing biodiversity, starting to talk about back then a little bit around climate change and how that might be influencing farms. So it was really that nexus of animals management people as well as the landscape and that foundational land environment plan evolved which was the great soil conservation plan with land use capability mapping and soil mapping at its core which is still a great basis for a farm plan but building on top of that adding the human elements I guess. So reasonably limited in in scope back then perhaps compared to where we're at now, you know, how have they evolved over 10 years? And again, I made reference around integrated farm planning at the start of that. What changes have you seen in 10 years when we talk about farm planning? So back then, 10 years ago, the focus was really heavily on water quality. The two key issues really were sediment in the hill country and nitrogen in the more intensively farmed areas, particularly in the south. Um, where there'd been a lot of dairy development happening. So our farm plans were pretty much driven by a few things that were going on around dairy industries, clean streams accord, the start of the industry, sheep and beef industry moving towards having more uptake of farm plans and seeing those as a useful tool. And what we've seen since then is people seeing the value of farm plans, not just for managing an environmental output or outcome, but actually as a basis for business, good business decisions. And and the way I see a farm plan is around having a good understanding of what your base resources are, and then you can build off that and you understand the limitations and constraints and you can build and grow from there. So we've seen a bit of that change come in. You see biodiversity now coming into plans. So that capturing the native vegetation, maybe the bird life, the invertebrates, other species that might be on farms. And we have seen certainly an increase in how climate change and greenhouse gases, of course, have come in in the last couple of years with farmers needing to have a greenhouse gas number. Um, We're starting to see pressure for farmers to have a farm plan. The other thing that we've seen evolve is that meat companies and milk companies have I guess, expected farm plans, and that gives them some degree of confidence that the claims that we're making in market around how we're producing our food are validated by those that are supplying them. 
And we have seen the uptake of environment plans as a compliance tool in some parts of the country. And we're about to see a big shift in that with the adoption of freshwater farm plans nationally as a requirement for farmers. Do you want to maybe elaborate on on that point? What are farmers facing from a a regulatory compliance aspect when it comes to farm planning in the near to medium future? Yeah, so again, I guess we're starting with freshwater. And so certified freshwater farm plans will be an expectation that all farmers will need to have one in the near future. And I can't be more certain with dates because we're still waiting for the regulations to be released, but we're, we're expecting that soon. So farmers will have a bit of clarity there and that the government's doing a rollout across the region. So it's not going to be everywhere all at once, but these are coming to a farm near you in the, in the next 18 months or so. Um, so those are going to be very focused on fresh water. That's driven by the National Policy Statement for Fresh Water, which we've had since 2011, and, and that's had many iterations under both national and Labor governments. What that's going to look like, if you've already got a farm plan, it's probably not going to be too much more, but maybe being a bit more specific around certain areas. Uh, one of the key differences we're expecting to see is that there'll be a lot more emphasis on what the catchment needs are, um, recognising the values in a wider catchment, not just your own little corner of the world, and making sure that your plans reflect those values and outcomes. And I guess that's reflecting that as New Zealanders, water is seen as a shared resource, and so there's expectations about how we look after our water, and that goes for farmers as well as the wider community, that we all have needs and want to be able to use these resources, and there's expectations around how we manage that. So we will be seeing more regulatory needs, and I guess my perspective has always been if we've got a got a regulation that we're facing, how can we turn that into a value proposition how can that add value to my business as well as, you know, wanting to hand the farm on in a better state and not wanting the water quality of my farm to be poor? How else could I use that information? Okay, well, let's dive into that a bit, bit further. You know, how do you see farm plans being used to, to add value? And, and, you know, think of the examples when you're working with farmers, what, what lens do you look at it through so you can help provide or, or the outcome it is a plan that adds value rather than just complying with what the regulator wants at that particular time. Yeah, one of the things that I've been really surprised about when I was working for Beef and Lamb as an extension manager, we got a lot of feedback from farmers that they wanted support with business planning. And we tried to run roll out business planning workshops. And maybe maybe we didn't do a very good job of that. We thought we did, but maybe maybe we didn't. But when we started rolling out farm plans, actually that then became something really tangible for farmers and building the business plan off the farm plan became actually a natural progression. And it's, I think the way most of us think as farmers is our connection to the land and water is part of what we do every day. It's just part of our being, it's part of our culture. That doesn't mean we always get it right and and that we can't do better all of the time in terms of the way we're looking after it. But we have this tangible relationship. And so for me, a farm plan is starting with what's my base resource? What are my soils? What's my geology? What's my climate? What's my water availability? Those things are are what we live and breathe every day. So then you, you add in what people resources have I got? What financial resources have I got? That sets your kind of boundary of operation. You can then make decisions around how you're managing your business off the basis of that. So I can't, for example, on my hill country farm, 
moved to dairying because my landscape constrains that. But on my flat finishing country, I could, I've could i got multiple options in terms of land use options. So it's the base resource and the natural resources that determine that. Um, and then I've got to apply over that what I want as a farmer, what my family wants, what the business objectives are of that. There could be shareholders involved and they've all got expectations of how we look after our land. A good farm plan really sets up that base resource and how we're going to look after that, not just for us and what we're trying to achieve, but for future generations as well and making sure that those shared resources are well looked after. I would then build into that what we might be doing now. It also sets up a good process to enable an assessment of anything we're doing now. Is this the right thing for the land and is this the right thing to meet our business objectives? So you're bringing in that business planning lens as well as bringing the information from your farm plan. Am I creating risks with what I'm doing? Can I manage those risks? If I can, what do I need to be doing to manage those risks? If I can't, are there ways I could be doing things better so that I'm not creating those risks in the first place? So it's really using it as a foundational tool. And if a certified freshwater farm plan is going to have all those good basics in it, um, the good basis around resource assessment, then it's going to dive down into freshwater specifics. But you can come back to that base core of it and look at what other aspects of my environment or how I manage my animals or my people. Can I also integrate into that? So when we talk about integrated farm planning, that's the people, the animals, the business and our land and water resources and what we do every day as farmers. So it's bringing all of those things together not necessarily in one giant 1,200-page plan, but in a way of thinking, it's a systems approach. So I suppose what we're saying is that there will be a compliance element that farmers will have to have some degree of documented farm planning. And then the question almost becomes, well, how much on top of that do they want to build to leverage what they've got to do anyway? And how much do you flesh out of that to, again, turn it from that compliance-driven document to something that has the ability to add value to your business. Yeah, that's right. And for every farmer, that's going to be different, right? So you could be focused just on, I've just got to meet my compliance needs. I'm going to do a basic plan, meet my compliance needs and go from there. For some farmers, though, it really creates an opportunity in terms of thinking beyond what you're doing now and thinking about those long-term land use strategies, what other things are coming my way? What are the markets I might be able to capture opportunity from? What other regulatory constraints might I be facing in the near future? But also what else can I do with this information? And things like Farm Assurance Plan Plus for sheep and beef farmers is a way of potentially looking at how we could extract value from the market through a premium that's validated through that good assurance quality program. Uh, most of the dairy companies have similar kind of programs in place. Sinlay's Lead with Pride, Fonterra's Cooperative Difference, for example, are all examples where those good quality farm plans set the foundation to demonstrate to outsiders, the market, the people buying our products, that we're doing what we say we're doing and we're doing it well. And they also establish that process of checking up on yourself. Are you actually doing what you say you're going to be doing? What else could you be doing? Are there additional opportunities? 
And I've also found farm plans are a useful tool to be looking at how you might share resources with other farmers and catchment groups, for example, or just between a cluster of neighbours or a cluster of like-minded farmers. And presumably these are live documents, right? Because we may have many listeners that, you know, haven't really have any form of farm planning and it might sound quite intimidating to go right to that end point with sort of this nirvana around understanding all your resources and how we're going to leverage them and be the most efficient and tapping into different accreditation and, and premium schemes. But but it's probably, you know, also just okay to start off with that base and understand, well, where, where am I starting from in terms of my natural resources and, and starting to get into the mindset of farm planning, which can be built upon over time. Absolutely. The best farm plan is when you started yesterday, right? So it's something that can be live. I've done farm plans that are one page, you know, it doesn't have to be a complicated document. The amazing thing I find when I'm talking to farmers is how much is in your brain. And often we'll have farmers who are in partnerships, husband and wife teams, or a broader family arrangement, and they've got all this beautiful information that's in their head and they haven't shared it widely and so sometimes it's just about pulling out what's in your head and putting it on paper and that's it you know you don't have to make these things complicated obviously there's going to be the compliance needs but we'll get instructions you know we'll have a template of what we need to do for those to meet that so we don't need to be scared about it it's really documenting what you live and breathe every day and then for me it's about working out how can we make that work for the client or for the teams that I'm working with that are using these things so for us that's often we'll We'll print a map and it's got the five actions to focus on for the next two years. And year one's in one colour and year two's in another and it's on a map. So up on the wool shed wall or in the shed dairy shed wall, that's it. That's the basis of the farm plan. There's a bit of documenting outside to keep everyone kind of on the same page, but it doesn't have to be a complex beast. You can build it over time as well. So absolutely just start with water. That's a good place to start since we're going to be required to do that. And then build from there, adding biodiversity on when you've got water, it's not that hard because it's a similar kind of thinking around what vegetation have I got on my farm? Is it managed? Is it not managed? Am I controlling pests? And controlling pests is maybe getting out there at this time of year and then enjoying some social recreational time to get on top of those pests. <laughs> it's important that you enjoy what you do, right? So I always say our um, our wetlands should also have some provision for shelter during May in particular. <laughs> yeah, and for context for the listeners, we are recording this the first week of May. Um, and it was so fast approaching duck shedding, which I think is what you're referencing there. What does that first step look like though? Like what, what support is out there for farmers that, like I say, might, might have held off to date but are interested? just not sure how they get this process underway. You know, do they have to come and see a consultant like yourself? Are there other avenues, options, resources available to get them on that pathway? There's heaps of resources out there and varying degrees of quality, I guess, but they're all based around the same kind of framework that I talked about at the start. You know, that what's your natural resources, how you're managing them, what's the risk your management's creating and what are some of the actions you can take to manage those risks. That's, that's the principle of it. You could come up with a template yourself. Industry bodies all have templates for farm planning and they'll be different levels of emphasis depending on where the topics are at the moment. So beef and lamb, the plan that I was involved with developing, that covers biodiversity, water, climate change, winter grazing, 
greenhouse gases. So climate change being the changes that we're seeing, greenhouse gases being what's contributing to that. So they're quite comprehensive, I guess, in terms of coverage. Other industry bodies have similar tools available. You can, of course, come to consultants, and we're always appreciative of that, but you don't need to start with a consultant. I am not a big fan of doing a farm plan for a farmer. A farm plan should be done by the farmer, and we can support that, build on it, potentially highlight some areas they might not have considered, but actually... If I do a plan for a farmer that they've had no buy-in into, it's not going to be a plan that's likely to be implemented. You know your farm better than anyone, and anyone coming onto your farm for a day is not going to be able to know all the intricacies of how stock move, how water moves, uh, what happens when the gutters overflow at the wool shed, what direction does the runoff go. So bringing a consultant in could be a considered a value-add type approach, to top up rather than necessarily to do it all for you. But of course, there are consultants, us included, who who are happy to do these plans from start to finish. Um, There are other other options as well. Some of the processing companies provide tools as well. And so it's always worth exploring what your options are and, and the pros and cons of each, depending on what you're trying to achieve with your plan. And what about the, in terms of the timing of when when farmers should think about putting the farm plan together? And, and I made reference the best one is the one that started yesterday, but I've probably got listeners out there going, well, you sort of said at the start that we're not 100% sure what's required to meet these compliance aspects around the freshwater component. You know, should I be waiting until there is clarity at which point I'm happy to jump in, but I don't want to go too early and then develop something that hasn't ticked necessarily all the boxes that I need to tick and I've wasted this time at resource. Any thoughts around timing in this space? As you also pointed out, these are live documents, right? So they're always going to be evolving. The plans that I did 10 years ago, if I was to go back and redo them, I'd do them quite differently. Um, And in our own farm business, we've got several and probably like a good plumber, none of them are quite finished, but we'll call that a reflection of that they're a live document as opposed to a consultant being incompetent in her own farm. So it's more around when it works for you and a good time to do it often is budgeting and business planning time. So if you're sitting down, putting some effort into doing a budget and thinking about the year ahead, Uh, Whether that's formal or informal, that's also a good time to do your farm plan because it's all about how you're going to use your resources to meet the objectives that you've got over the next year. And that's where you can bring in different aspects. We did talk about compliance and and that we don't know. Um, I think we're going to have to accept that probably our compliance environment as farmers is going to be like this for a long time. We're going to see a lot of change shifting around different expectations because it's not just going to be driven by regulations it's driven as we're seeing from the markets from different markets we supply from banks Um, we're starting to see a lot of different expectations that shift and change over time as these environments also evolve so again start with the basics the resource management risks how you're managing your resources and what risks those might be created and what are a handful of actions you can be doing to achieve both good outcomes for your business and good outcomes for the environment and the, and the resources you've got, your animals, your people, and then build on it when you get more certainty in terms of compliance. You're not going to be wasting your time if you start with that good foundation. 
So essentially, a lot of the fundamentals that you build plans upon are likely to tick the boxes that you need to tick when the details around the compliance aspects come along. Yeah, the foundations are not going to change. It's They've been around since the 50s. It's the core of a good farm plan. We're not likely to see that suddenly be ripped out of, of our expectations from a compliance perspective. As I said at the start, we might just be building on top of that, shifting a little bit in terms of who's expecting what, bringing in some more information about our catchments, those sorts of things. So it's not going to be a a whole new thing that we have to get our heads around. And anyone that's done farm planning, I don't think you'll be surprised, too surprised at what the expectations are. Now, historically, a lot of the focus in farm plans have been, you know, managing, mitigating the impacts that the farming system is having on the environment. But when we talk about climate change, and we've seen some pretty severe examples of it earlier this year, there's also the element of of the changing environment, how that will impact the farming operation itself. What prominence or focus to date have farm plans had around actually what are the changing climatic or uh, environment likely to have for my business? And, And again, what information is out there to support farmers to get a better understanding around potentially for them, what is the specific impacts relevant to them? Really good question. I guess the focus within farm plans historically, or today, I should say, has been around how you manage adverse events. So your snowstorms, your floods, droughts, we might need to add cyclones to that list. And so it's very reactive. So we're not necessarily dealing with what am I thinking about long term in terms of how my farm might change and I think the reason for that is because culturally as farmers we evolve to the climate all the time that's what we do every day when we walk out the door so it happens slowly we're not necessarily having or haven't had to this point to think about that from a proactive stance. I have interestingly about 10 years ago was working with a group of farmers looking at adaptation to climate change and and I had a message from one the other day saying oh if we'd kept up with that work we'd be in much better place now 10 years on but we you know it wasn't the priority we're busy dealing with eroding hill country and and trying to fight the taxes and all the rest of it so we sort of dropped the ball on that again you know no point looking back at what we haven't done but looking at uh, long-term land use strategies it's going to affect us in multiple different ways. The crops we grow, the diseases we might be facing, weed burdens or pressures that we might be facing. And NEWA's done some really good work on what our climate might look like in each of the regions in future. So having a look at the NEWA resources around that, they are quite hefty documents, but they've got quite good executive summaries and there's some good maps with them. NEWA do great maps. So looking at If I'm thinking about my farm for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, what might that look like? Those are useful tools for that. They, of course, work with averages. So you've got to kind of look at the extremes. You know, if it's two degrees warmer on average in my, my climate, what does that look like at the extremes of that? And what might that do to my seasons? Uh, what crops I might be able to grow, what animals I might be able to farm. There's a program that the New Zealand Greenhouse Gas Research Centre, Agricultural Greenhouse Gas Research Centre is running called Future Farm Systems, which I'm involved with. And part of that is being to look at Northland and Southland as specific case studies around what changes we might see with climate change and what the implications are of that for the supply chain. So have a look at the 
NZAGRC website to have a look at how that work is coming, what that work is coming up with and how we might be able to utilise some of that thinking. There are places to go for that, but it's you're talking much more strategically around how we think about land and land use. And again, I use a farm plan as a reference point for that because your soils aren't going to change, your geology is not going to change, your climate is going to change. So we're overlaying that then and the people managing it are going to change. So it's bringing those two aspects in and thinking, what am I trying to achieve 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, subsequent generations and using that, that good kind of foundational approach. So building on that theme of looking into the future, what, what do you see as the next evolution or, or development for farm plans? And one area I'd be keen to probably get your thoughts on is the role of digitalization and how that will potentially assist or enable us to have you know more efficient, high-quality farm planning tools out there. It's a good question. I guess having been involved a little bit with uh, the integrated farm planning project that MPI has been working on and some listeners will know that I've been involved with attempts to digitise farm plans and it's really hard. The challenge you've got is all of these different people needing different things from a farm plan so you've got you really need a health and safety plan that's separate that can't be part of a bigger document and you need a freshwater farm plan to meet the freshwater rules and you're going to need a greenhouse gas plan to manage your mitigation of greenhouse gases. So all of those things have their own specific requirements that don't integrate. And so one way of thinking about integrated farm planning is that we have one giant plan that rules them all. And I've I've written a couple of those and they're beasts of documents by the time you get through all the things that they should have in them. They're great. They're really fascinating if you're a geek like me that loves that kind of stuff. But if I'm a farmer trying to pick up and figure out what I'm trying to do, uh, it's not super practical. So we really need to get much smarter around how we utilise that information, utilise the data and information that we're already sharing across a range of different platforms and start pulling that into a tool that we can actually then just say, this information's got to go here and I can choose that as a farmer and this other information's going in a different direction. And we're controlling that, but also that all of the core data is all in one place. So I think we can't not go digital if we're going to be successful in having a highly productive, successful economy based on agriculture that's also supporting good environmental outcomes, looking after our people and looking after our animals. Who's going to do it? Not sure. There's bits of projects around the place that are that are underway. I've had high hopes for a lot of them, and but it does take time. It's a complicated beast. There's commercial interests, of course. We can't be downtrodden about that. That's important, but challenges with managing who owns what IP. Ultimately, it's farmer's data. And so I think if we take a step back and say, right, what does a farmer need? What are the outcomes we're trying to achieve that will deliver the best outcomes for our farms and for our resources, then we'll probably come pretty close to the right place. So watch this space and who knows how long it might take. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, look, important to keep working on and the potential to be a key enabler, but also not something we probably have to sit back and wait to to have this Nirvana solution before we get on and think about our own business and, and what we can do in the farm planning space and until we do get something that does probably fill that void. 
There are some consultants out there who are doing some really good work with different mapping tools um, and trying to bring some of this information together. So it is worth doing your homework around your trusted advisor and what they might be able to provide. Uh, they might not get you all the way there in terms of a fully integrated plan, but there is some really smart thinking out there and, and tools available online software that can help you. So the digital solution, the Mecca solution or Nirvana, as you called it, Blake, is not quite there, but there's certainly tools and options out there that are not too far away. So do have a look around if that's uh, the way you think. Equally, if you're not a, a digital native and that terrifies you, which may in fact be the case, the good old pen and paper, or even I use felt pens on printed maps extremely successfully with lots of farmers. Um, so whatever works for you is going to be the best plan. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good point, right? At the end of the day, it's, it's your plan and you understanding it and being able to own it and implement it is the, the key part of that. And whether that's this flash digital solution or whether this is a continuation of something in the handbook that goes in the top pocket is, is ultimately um, your call as the farmer and, and maybe not necessarily for the industry to make the call. The, the industry's role is probably providing the best tools that they can to increase the range of options out there. I suppose that's kind of where, where the industry plays a, a key role. Absolutely, yeah. Otherwise, it's just a bit of paper. If it's not a farm plan you are implementing and own, it's just a bit of paper or a, an online document. Cool. Look, we've reached the end of uh, our time, Erica, but any, any last key messages or, or tips for farmers that are considering how to go about implementing their own farm planning approach? If you haven't got a plan and you've been a bit intimidated by it, just start by getting a map of your farm, drawing the different land management units on it, so the different soils or the different topography, and just start to think around how you manage each of those bits. Do they behave differently under different climatic conditions? Is that costing you or is it benefiting you? And are you maximising the opportunities that are created by that? For most of us, we've got bits of land that we could probably take out of production that can create opportunities maybe with trees or retiring land into vegetation. And that often means that we can better use the land that can better manage that. And so it can be as simple as that to get started one bite at a time with an elephant. So just make a start and don't be too scared. Go looking for information and ask someone that you trust or another farmer that's done it, how they did it and what worked for them and get started. Great advice. Look, in the farm planning space, I think there's some elements farmers can't control. So we do know in the near future, you will have to have some form of, of farm plan, but they do have other elements they can control and that's how they decide to approach farm planning, their, their mindset around it. So there is the option of just taking a complete reactionary approach. I will do what I need to do and I'll, I'll keep delivering what the regulator requires. But there's also that proactive approach around how can I get in front of this and actually start to understand topics and areas that may not be compliance now, but potentially will be in the future. But not only that, actually add value to my farming system. And there's also probably a, a choice around, you know, how generic do I go with, with my plan? Do I take a template and fill it out to, again, tick the box or how bespoke do I make it? Again, the more bespoke in theory, the more value that can add to your, your farming business. And the end, all, all of that, it ultimately becomes down to implementation, doesn't it? I heard a, a great saying from a lecture I had that, you know, A-grade implementation of a C-grade plan will always beat C-grade implementation of an A, a plan. 
So at the end of the day, whether it's a digital platform or, or that um, plan on, on the handbook on the top pocket, ultimately, whatever works for you and how you implement it will be what delivers the best outcomes at the end of the day. So again, Erica, always great to, to talk with you. Really appreciate um, your insights and yeah, look forward to staying in touch and, and seeing how this whole farm planning space continues to evolve. Thanks, Blake. Kia ora koutou. Thank you for listening to Talks Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rubberbank can support you to succeed into the future, please go to rubberbank.co.nz.